Please be seated. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. There was a town called Bethany. Bethany, on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem, at one time it was a house of something. Many places at that time had this name, Bethlehem, house of bread, Bethel, house of God, Bethsaida, house of fish, and Bethany, the house of the afflicted. Maybe it was nothing Or it could have been that ancient Bethany was where the poor and the sick were cared for. And it was here that days before Jesus was summoned, he was summoned to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And because of that act, act, the Jerusalem authorities began to plot, began to plot his capture and his execution So the scene we hear today, the shadow of Jesus' death, is cast upon it. And Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his three closest friends. And after dinner, Mary slips out of the room, grabs a vial of oil and perfume, a vial that probably originated in India or Nepal, and if sold, it could support a family for an entire year. And she breaks open the jar, and the fragrance fills the room and the entire house, and she anoints Jesus' feet, and afterwards wipes his feet with her hair. It's a scene that breaks every social taboo of the time, and even some of the social taboos of our time. Men sitting at women, with women at the table, open conversation about death, a woman anointing a man, and the hair. It's a scene of utter love and devotion. Love between friends, love for a friend who is about to die. Biblical scholar Amy Jean Levine says that this, in fact, should be called the First Supper, bookending with the Last Supper a few days later. A supper, a celebration of lavish, extravagant, even reckless love and affection. And in this complicated, amazing passionate scene, Judas interrupts. I imagine that he had a measured and practical voice. And he says, why not sell the perfume and give the money to the poor? And Jesus replies, she bought it so she might prepare me for burial. You always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. 
You know, I struggle with this text. I always have. Because I kind of agree with Judas. How many meals for the homeless? How many worker training programs could be paid for? How many beds in hospitals? How many playgrounds could be rehabilitated? How many schools established? After-school programs run? Children sponsored? Selling that vial could provide a practical, measured approach to make the world a somewhat better place. And you know, this action of Mary, it also recalls for me all the reckless abandoned found throughout the Gospels. You know, there's that story of the woman, the woman who gives her coin all she had at the temple. There's that shepherd who leaves his entire flock to chase after, to chase after that one. The merchant who sells all he has, all of his assets, to find that one perfect pearl. The woman who tears up her house to find that lost coin. And last week's lesson, the prodigal son. The father who kills the fatted calf to throw a party for the son who was lost and now is found. Reckless. God's economy, God's logic, is completely different than our own. It's this reckless extravagance in both directions between God and God's people. The extravagance of Mary and her perfume It's the same extravagance of God's love, of God's forgiveness, of God's passion for you and for me that's frankly reckless, even wasteful. This extraordinary passion of our loving God. So Jesus says, the poor are always with you. What does that mean? We can be reckless and we don't have to worry about the poor. They'll always be there. There'll always be poor people. Or something else. A friend of mine, a mentor of mine, who was a great advocate for social justice, a career of activism, he once told me that he'd always struggled with this text until his daughter Rachel was born. His daughter Rachel was born with a debilitating disability. She was never able to speak, eventually could make a few signs. She lived her life in an electric wheelchair. She mostly ate her meals with assistance. She always needed health aids or a caregiver to live. And every year of her life, her family would wonder whether this might be her last. Now she's in her mid-20s. My friend said to me, you know, Rachel will never be able to achieve anything. She'll never be able to be active. She'll never have children. She'll never be a a productive member of society. And even in the midst of that, she's immensely, extraordinarily, lavishly, 
valued. Just as she is. My friend said, you always have the poor with you. Because we'll always have Rachel's. We'll always have people like that. And we're actually incomplete if we don't have them. To say the poor, you'll always have them with you is, it's a statement about who we are as the people of God. And isn't it lavish to have a community that supports her, that nourishes her, that values her, values her, that celebrates her just the way she is? Isn't that reckless abandon as well? So Jesus is gathering with his friends in the house of the afflicted and celebrating the lavishness of God's love for all people. And Jesus isn't accepting some kind of trade-off or some kind of dichotomy between love for him and care for the poor. He's seeing it all wrapped together. A lavish, reckless, unconditional love. Creating community that's able to celebrate, value, hold it all. Not for what people do or what they produce, but just for being. You know, God's economics is not ours. God's promise is that there is enough for it all. This lavish love for friends, for a loved one, and this lavish love that can hold all people. This lavish love that's also for you and for me. All held together in that house in Bethany. As death hung over them all and a fragrance of perfume filled the house. Where the power and love of God comes together. To provide for all people. To gather everyone at that table and build a world where we will always be together in God. Amen.